Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Coffee with Graham. So last week, we participated in the Physicians Weekly tweet chat about the COVID-19 vaccines with the hashtags, this is our shot, and COVID vaccine. And they're calling this a movement among healthcare workers to build trust in vaccines, and specifically the COVID-19 vaccines. So for anyone who hasn't participated in a tweet chat before, Physicians Weekly tweeted out seven questions and physicians were able to share their approach to countering misinformation. They shared advice and tips around debunking the vaccine myths. Um, They discussed public distrust in vaccines and they were able to share their experiences in encouraging participants to receive the vaccine by being pointed in the direction of accurate and credible resources. Coffee with Graham podcast, and I'm your host, Melissa Simmons. In each episode, we'll discuss different issues and hot topics in healthcare with ACCME President and CEO, Dr. Graham McMahon. We'll also have guest interviews with our continuing education colleagues. These are monthly conversations that address local and national healthcare priorities. Thank you for listening. Now, Graham, is this a pretty accurate description of how the tweet chat went? Yeah, Melissa, you're, you're right. It's my first time participating in a, in a tweet chat. And as we get to, it's kind of an interesting way of sharing and conveying information, ideas, and, and problem solving together. But that's uh, exactly right. We did that around overcoming vaccine hesitancy and some of the issues that we're facing as a community and as a profession. Right. So kind of what we saw were healthcare professionals collaborating in real time. So between social distancing and being more virtual now than ever before, Is social media the new remote learning platform? And exactly how effective is social media learning? So here to explain more about Twitter-based learning, today we're joined by Dr. Ritu Thaman, cardiologist from the University of Pittsburgh and co-founder of the Telemed Now Tweet Chat. Dr. Thaman, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So can you just first start off by telling us what's been going on in social media and medical professions in the last year? Like, what have you seen since the pandemic started? I would say that it's been a whirlwind of information uh, through social media, really instigated by the fact that this novel virus and pandemic Um, was so quickly introduced into our world and we had no real information about it. And the fastest way we could gather that information was through social media. So it led to the formation of several groups on Facebook. It certainly led to the dissemination of information on Twitter and lots of discussion. Of course, the discussions partly were preprints because then we needed the information as we were taking care of the patients and even some of the clinical findings, you know, early on, we didn't understand and rapidly would rely on whatever we were finding out on, on Twitter mostly and uh, Facebook groups um, to take care of patients. So it was like, a, it was really a lifeline. And then over time, as we learn more about the disease itself, uh, became even more of a platform for advocacy for lack of PPE that led to the demise of several physicians and other healthcare workers. And, uh, you know, 
a strong voice for advocacy across the spectrum. Um, and now we see the next iteration after we've endured the second wave of the vaccines, which are a frankly, a miracle of, of science. And, and the truth is, the science has been there developing these mRNA virus um, vaccines for, you know, decades. The fact that they were able to create it so quickly, a vaccine in six months and, and the cl clinical trials to show the efficacy is just nothing short of a miracle. Now, you're very active on social media. Uh, just a few weeks ago, you tweeted a video of yourself receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Why is it important for you to share your experience on social media? I believe that, you know, certainly Twitter, social media is very, it's personal and it is a conversation. Um, that's what makes it so engaging. When you have personal stories, which you know, my getting the vaccine along with other healthcare workers. Um, it's a story that I'm saying, telling of myself and sharing amongst all my followers and anyone else. And I think it was really important because over the last year, there's been a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, vaccine hesitancy has erupted because there's been this idea that you're going to have something injected in you that's almost like fantastical, like science fiction work. And we as a profession need to stand up and say, no, that's not true. And this is based in science. And I'm a living uh, example of that. So these, these videos become important to convey and share that story and share the science in very uh, directly. So there's direct communication with whoever engages with that. I would say that's that's a really good summary, Ritu, of my experience of social media, not just in the last year, but in general. It's it's a it's not just a, a mechanism for exchanging information, but it's one where people build community, and it's a great equalizer between people. So everybody can have an equal voice, no matter their stature or their knowledge, etc. It's a very accessible platform to have a conversation with folks. Of course, the downside is you can generate an echo chamber for yourself if you really believe in hocus pocus. You can create lots of people around you who believe in hocus pocus and believe that that becomes therefore the truth because the only people you follow are believers. But in general, it's it's been a fantastic place for uh, medical practitioners not just to share information and experiences and something that was so rapidly changing, but also to share stories, uh, build community, and and ultimately build relationships. Yeah, that's uh, such an important part because it is those uh, those relationships that ultimately um, can metamorphosize into something even grander or more stronger, I would say. And that's necessary to fight against those kind of threads where somebody may question what you're saying, maybe outside of your bubble. And certainly with the hashtag docs for vax, we have noticed that people will interject and say, you know, this is what you're tweeting is just wrong. Maybe they're bots, maybe they're trolls, whatever. Um, and then there's a choice that we have to make to either engage. In what capacity do we engage in something that we know is not true, um, no. but not, and we don't want to alienate anyone either. So 
Yeah, it's the, it's the real dilemma. How do you how do you keep the bots out and the the trolls out while at the same time facilitating an open conversation in a very equal way? It's a it's an unanswered issue, I suppose, for the community right now. But essentially, you have to just be attentive to who's saying what, what what history they have, and particularly if you have a relationship, whether it's technologically or otherwise, with the person or the organization tweeting. That's when you decide who to follow and who to trust. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a very fine point. And I always try to remember, you know, do not air any dirty laundry in public. There's a great expression in, in French. And um, and it certainly comes to even when people are, say, uh, presenting an opposite point of view, they they're they can. But I would I keep reiterating what I know scientifically based facts and I may even add article or something I've read that will just you know add validity to what I'm saying rather than engage in any sort of a negative comment I find that more helpful in general hopefully you can teach my 11 year old daughter before she gets embedded too much in it some of these key lessons learned redo thanks um so we're going to talk about learning and and continuing education how it relates to social media in just a second but maybe you could just elaborate on on how you would describe a tweet chat with a colleague uh so listeners can get a sense for for what we're really talking about here sure so a tweet chat is a well thought out conversation but also an important exchange of information and it can be done at an individual level or it could be done as part of an organization either promoting their journal a specific article or a specific idea and usually it is centered around a hashtag so one might have for example for we have one ASE echo JC and that was started in 2017. And it's about echo topics related to the American Society of Echo. We started one this year based on COVID and uh, the need for telemedicine, telemed now. And so that's their own hashtag. So um, when we do a tweet chat, we decide using that hashtag, what are the questions we want to ask? And it could be based on literature or ideas that have been circulating or in the article or just something that someone has uh, repeatedly brought up that is a timely issue. And then those tweets are linked in maybe an hour's time, sometimes a half an hour. And each tweet will have tags. So tag meaning you add people to the conversation. So I would tag you both and say, how can we learn on Twitter using these tweet chats? How does that work? And, and one of the things is that it works because we're asking a question. So it's open. It's an open-ended question. And then from the engagement and from the actual answers to the questions, you know, it's like eavesdropping on to, uh, or, you know, a bunch of people who are hopefully even more intelligent than you. And you learn from, from that. And sometimes just overhearing their conversation you know, it'll spark something like, wow, I didn't, I hadn't really thought of it like this. So, you know, might draw out other elements, Mm -hmm. um, which is really one of the highlights of doing a tweet chat, because you don't know um, what comes out. And I think for some, you might even end up with interesting um, conversation, 
questions for future research because it's a melding of different people. Like it's open, right? So it can be patients, yep. it can be doctors, yep. anyone can, you know, jump in and say, hmm, this is my vantage point. This is how I, I'm reading this. Well, that's what I experienced last week, you know, in my first tweet chat. I was uh, happily surprised by the, the depth and granularity in which some of the conversation uh, ensued. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, what's the rate of X, you know, people looking for a specific piece of information. It was like, what's your approach when faced with a problem like why? And that's quite compelling because it requires people to share experience, wisdom, insight, uh, it's not just an exchange of factual information. And I think that's potentially why it can be quite a powerful vehicle for learning and bringing people together who might not otherwise be brought together. Is, has that been your experience of trying to deploy educational programs on, on Twitter, that uh, it has that convening power, it has that ability to bring different types of people together, and it's able to, to engage people at a level of thinking that is not just information uh, exchange? Certainly, I think that's one of the real um, pinnacles of doing a tweet chat is that because you can read a paper, but you're not going to get the same sort of interaction as you would when you're discussing certain points. And for us, we might have people who are actually um, different levels of education, you know, on a piece of paper, but that doesn't mean anything in terms of what their experience is. Sure. Uh, and um, adding their two cents to the conversation is so helpful because um, ultimately we all are motivated by we're trying to find out like what is the best way to say solve this problem or handle mm -hmm. this situation. So the motivation for us even engaging is the same and the way our vantage points are coming um, so differently really adds a rich dimension and that's what makes it particularly useful and powerful. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I think that's why, you know, well, interestingly, I think for a lot of readers, we don't regulate educational format, right? Most people think that we do, but we don't describe under what circumstances individual organizations can issue the AMA PRA Category 1 credit, for example. We take an approach of saying we're, we care that it's educationally designed, it's designed appropriately for the learner, it's based on real needs, it's assessed appropriately, it's independent of industry. But if all those things are present, you can give credit for learning in a variety of different ways. Uh, but a key challenge in this particular circumstance for issuing credit for participating tweet chats is demonstrating the outcome. Some have certainly used things like, well, tell us what you learned. As long as you tell us what you learned and articulate that in a useful way, we can document the learning and therefore issue the credit. Have you seen any other ways of issuing credit for participating in, in tweet chats uh, in the activities that you've done? Or has it mostly been about those self-attestations uh, from individual clinicians? Well, for the ASE Echo Journal Club, those chats, I write the CME questions. Oh, so you write some questions that people take afterwards? Yes. So I will make sure that those questions are, you know, discussed. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and make it so that they'll be able to answer that correctly. And for Telemed Now, again, it's the same thing where you, you do... I feel it's better to write the question that's more um, trying to see, did you actually pay attention? Did you, did you learn something, you know, mm -hmm, being mm -hmm. broad, I 
broad ideas, not necessarily the minutia, but broad ideas um, that they yep. should have gleaned from the discussion. Um, I think those are helpful. And just as a matter of interest, Ridu, do you tend to find yourself using open frame responses, like the the best view to use in a patient with uh, a particular valve disorder is is which, or do you tend to say how would you approach a scenario, or do you use multiple choice items, or a mix of all of the above? It's mostly um, multiple choice, and I will vary it up in terms of there's three choices or four choices, sometimes two, sometimes it's a true false, but mostly sure, sure. it's just a, a multiple choice kind of thing. Um, and how has that been received? Redo? have people liked get, being able to get CE credit for completing your activities? Um, yes. And, you know, it's sort of a perk of being a member of ASC and, um, through Telemed now we've gotten a grant to the university to offer it for free. So people like free CME, um, yeah. you know, and it, it's uh, so it's been working out very well. I think that right now our numbers are probably smaller than um, what we'd like it to be because people just don't know about it. Sure, um, and they're certainly not familiar with it yet. You're you're at the vanguard, Ritu, <laughs> of novel approaches to engaging diverse communities and bringing them together around learning uh, particular skills. Yeah, and the diversity piece, I think, is really also um, very important, as we've recognized even more in the last year with the disparities of care across telemedicine and mm-hmm. across COVID and COVID deaths and and just even learning. So that participation is really colorblind, right? You know, we, you know people have different names. You have no idea, you know, yep. physically necessarily what you, you have your little dot on Twitter. <laughs> That sure. you know is yourself, but it could you could be anything. People have cartoons. People have made masks. I mean, all over. But so it's, yeah. that part is really great. I, think. I hadn't even thought about that. That it eliminates a lot of the traditional barriers to interaction and the creation of trust and the implicit biases we bring to conversations because the icon that you have on your Twitter account is is almost always meaningless, uh, and your name is is often meaningless so even though some people might might put a variety of titles etc into their twitter handle but it's a really is a really good point but it also brings up this question of diversity of professional type because obviously in your field in very particular there's echo techs and and lab technicians as well as you know general cardiologists as well as you know highly specialized uh, imaging cardiologists like you, uh, have you seen twi- Twitter and social media be able to engage that type of diversity and and celebrate, maybe nurture it even? I certainly um, do see that now. There is a coterie of patients who are also on maybe and want to find out and learn as much. And certainly when we've created the Telemedicine Now group, it's policy. There, We have a patient advocate. We have um, people who work um, in policy, lawyers, business, cardiologists, surgeon—you know, like a whole range. And that diversity of opinion, I think, is what makes it so strong. Yeah, it's a very powerful component of these relatively open media platforms. Although the downside, so huge opportunities to bring in patient stories, for example, use them as vignettes, have the real patient participate in something like a, a tweet chat, et cetera. But there's also risk, right? What if you know one of the 
the echo manufacturing companies decided to plant somebody with a particular perspective saying, hey, use our particular brand. It's the best one for this type of disease. How do you, uh, what do you perceive to be the risk of that? And, and if so, how would you stop somebody starting to hijack a, a, a professional conversation with marketing messages? I think we, uh, as a group, are so (laughs) prone to asking questions. So if there is somebody, even if it's a bot, a place, you know, somebody trolling in, if someone dares to say that, you know, they're going to be immediately jumped on, I think, by people saying, you know, you shouldn't say that. And, you know, these are the things I don't like about this kind of imaging And I do think that there's a heightened sensitivity around introducing, you know, anyone with that flavor of marketing um, conversation. So, but uh, you can, you can see it happening, but I think that the risk seems low and certainly the risk benefit equation highly benefit, highly favors the benefit, but I love the idea of the community kind of managing its own integrity and uh, the trusted kind of sacred place of professional interaction and protecting that with their commentary, which is their key weapon in a place like this, is is pointing the finger at somebody who might be marketing a, a device or a machine or an approach of some way and uh, making it clear to everyone else in the community, this is marketing, by the way, ignore, <laughs> you know, move along, there's more interesting conversation over here. Um, I think that's fantastic because I think that's probably the most most compelling reason for people to have trust in a Twitter chat is that the community wouldn't allow themselves if there were ever overt marketing going on that it would be it would be bludgeoned away <laughs> by Ritu and her colleagues. Well, you're, you're like a SWAT team of Twitters of tweeters. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. On that point and 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 maybe one or two more just more questions, Ritu is is how how what have you used or what vehicles or strategies have you used to try and elevate the cognitive level of the conversation you know so that it's not just which machine do you prefer when you're looking for a parastarnal long axis view or which transducer uh, adheres to gel better or i don't know whatever uh so that you actually are building on people's insights, wisdom, and, and bringing forward some of their real ideas and creativity for sharing. How, how do you do that in a tweet chat to elevate the stature and status of the conversation? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, mostly I do that through inviting the authors of papers that would be discussed. That definitely adds a huge amount to the conversation because mm-hmm. that's where we're getting the scientific information knowledge. So we're getting a direct source. The other thing it sounds like you do is is you pre-script the questions that you're putting out based on the journal, not just the post-activity questions for for the CE, et cetera, but for facilitating the chat, you write questions that you think will be optimal at pushing the envelope in terms of getting people thinking. Yes, 100%. Yes. Fantastic. Are there... Um, are there other educational pearls you've taken away from engaging in tweet chats that you think would be helpful for listeners to be attentive to or know about? Uh, challenges, opportunities, risks, benefits, anything you want to share? Um, sure. I think that when you are in their tweet chats, and they're also something called tweetorials, so two different things. A tweetorial would just be Um, say, a series of tweets that are linked together, maybe based on a journal article or a question that somebody has. 
Um, and those are very helpful as well. <clears throat> Lots of times I will do a tweetorial on the journal article that we're going to discuss beforehand because I want to present the information. And most often people appreciate that because nobody wants to go offline and read something, a whole paper. I mean, it have to be something magnificent. So lots of times you can sort of spoon feed with a few um, bits of humor. Like you got to put a, a GIF in there. And I started mine with, it was uh, on artifacts, right? And so one of the things was this idea of splay, and splay was a type of artifact that, that makes us recognize severe mitral regurgitation. And I used a gift from I Love Lucy uh, saying, let me explain you something, because that's what came to my mind. So, I mean, you know, you just have to like get these little nuggets of wordplay and use that in your favor to just keep your audience engaged. So it's sort of like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down kind of. Right? So yeah. <laughs> for a medical tweeter, that's a particularly appropriate. I think that that's, that's helpful because, you know, we all want to learn, but we're always all distracted and there's so many places that are pulling us in different direction and, you know, vying for our attention. So just, a little bit um, will will be very helpful, and uh, you'll end up learning things and seeing things that you just over time you think, "Wow, I've really become a much better doctor because I know how to ask questions now that I did not know." And if I had just been by myself re- in a room reading these articles, I would never have gleaned those questions. Well, that's the real opportunity of social media is bringing wisdom into the conversation, not just information transfer and context and meaning to the data that's, for example, in a journal article rather than just the stats and graphs. And I think that's where expertise is so particularly valuable to provide that context to meaning. And it sounds like you've created through your exercises and your tweet chats exactly those types of powerful learning experiences that are appear conspicuously simple but are actually carefully designed to bring out multiple perspectives from diverse perspectives and to monitor to ensure it's not being contaminated in a useful way and altogether delivering an educational experience that, that the community is really benefiting from. So really appreciate you sharing those perspectives, Redo, and for sharing your experience deploying uh, tweet chats over these last few years with your journal colleagues. Thanks for joining us today at, uh, at Coffee with Graham and look forward to seeing where you take Twitter-based education in the future. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this conversation, we're always looking to extend the discussion on CME. Feel free to reach out with topics you'd like us to cover or let us know how you're addressing these issues in your organization. Thank you for listening and catch us on the next episode of Coffee with Graham.